Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. This whole journey uh, came, I don't know where it began anyway, but um, cracking communication has been going for about 18 months, I suppose, and we've been trying to help people um, just get their bearings around what it is to speak out something of what God is doing in their lives. And I hope for those of us that have journeyed through cracking communication for uh, 18 months or so, there's lots of ideas and skills that we're beginning uh, to develop. Sometimes there's 15 of us, sometimes there's eight of us, uh, that kind of range of people, and it's uh, interactive, and we're doing so. Could I have my slides, actually, please? Um, it, interactive, and we kind of share together, but one thing, one thing we've discovered every single time, and that's true for everyone who's been part of that cracking communication journey, is that when we open our mouths, God does something amazing. When we open our mouths about what God has placed in us, God does something amazing. And it doesn't matter whether you're upstairs in a workshop, or you're standing at the front of a group of people, or it's at the checkout, or it's over the office desk, or it's over the neighbor's fence. There's something happens when we open our mouths, and that's what we're discovering together. So I'm super excited today um, for our TED Talks, and uh, if you don't know what a TED Talk is, uh, the company TED is all about the proclamation of ideas, and people speak for between 7, 12, maybe 15 minutes. You can find them all over YouTube uh, on anything. We're just grabbing hold of the concept, and we're saying if we speak out what God's placed within us, something really exciting happens, not least that we help raise up and develop communicators. So we've got Richard Earl today, everybody. We've got Nathan Luchford today, everybody. We've got Helen Blackman today, everybody. All on the same sets of verses with bags of stuff just to allow God to speak into our lives. So Father, would you help me, would you help us to be good, open, active responders to your word today. And would you give Rich and Nathan and Helen a whole bucket full of fun as they share good things that are true for them, that are true for us, truths that come from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Let's do this, shall we, Rich? You're a welcoming audience, aren't you, everybody? So good morning, everyone. So, um, for those who don't know me, I'm 17 points of the sermons. So, at the risk of sounding like a hypocrite, here I am. Flicked a small TED talk on you. So, I'd appreciate your support as I try and share with you what God has shared with me. Now, one of the things that Simon has been talking about during the, about the miracle, and it'd be amazing, but instead he focused me right at the start, the initial part. So, what would I like you to know? Well... I'd love you to know that Jesus sends us out. 
See, there's a lot of detail in the first paragraph that we often overlook. We want to get to the fun part where Jesus walks on water and Peter falls into the, into the, um, into the ocean. But let's, ne- let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's picture the scene. See, in the previous passage, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And he's had a little team debrief. And he sends them off into the boat to meet them to the other side. <laughs> Seamless. Um, <laughs> so they must have, you know, the disciples must have been amazed at what had just happened. Amazed at what, you know, what been talking about what's just happened, the feeding, the baskets, and everything else. And as they set out into the boat, as Jesus told them to do. But whilst they were crossing the lake, things got rocky. The waves got choppy. The wind picked up and the waves were big. And it was obviously tough on that boat. Now, it, there was no, this was, um, you know, this was no modern boat with radios or emergency gear, but wooden raft, cloth sails, and no lifeboat service. Now, I always imagine the scene from the lifeboat video that we show here at Burlington about the lifeboats being thrown around, the waves being black, you know, the waves and the water splashing everywhere. But, you know, that's, that's the way I picture it. But going back to my three points, um, I'd love you to know that Jesus sends us out, but also feel secure that Jesus will meet you when it gets rough. So where is Jesus? Well, he's dealt with the pastoral issues, he's had a nice quiet time, and then he goes to his disciples. Yes, he went in power, he walked on water, but I don't think that's the point. The main point I see is that he's just simply went to them, where they were with no one looking. Now imagine Jesus coming to help you, to help you, to check up on you. How amazing is that? Jesus comes to you. Now I've not been in a boat in rough seas before, like the disciples, but I've been in choppy waters. See, over a year ago, I was made redundant. And to be honest, it felt like my life had been turned upside down. I was disappointed, sad, and embarrassed. But deep down, I knew I had to trust God. Then, only a few months later, God put me into an amazing place, a job which continues to challenge and enthrall me. You see, one evening, God caught my attention. I was watching a TV program, and he whispered to me, Something bizarre, but search for electric cars. They typed into Google, searched electric cars in Ipswich, and then this company popped up that made charging stations for electric vehicles. And so I sent them an email and said, do they have any jobs? And they said, come for a coffee. And I ended up with this amazing job. And so therefore, in one of my darkest moments, God met me. The relief was palpable, and the joy of meeting God there continues to inspire me. So Jesus came to me, walking in water, so to speak, when I was in a storm. So I'd love you to know that Jesus sends us out and to feel secure that he will meet you in the storms that will come. But what is it that I'd love us to do? Well, go where he sends us. So let me expand on this by asking you some questions. If Jesus came to you today, where would he meet you? Would he meet you where he had sent you? Or would he meet you where you are hiding? Have a think on that for a moment. You see, the other story about choppy waters in the Bible is Jonah and the whale. Here, Jonah hid from God on a boat 
because he didn't want to go to Nineveh as God had sent him. In the middle of the sea, again, the boat was on the rocky waters, and he eventually ended up in an even worse place, inside a giant fish. But eventually, Jonah cried out, and God met him where he was hiding. Jonah then realized what he had done, he, and went off to where God was sending him, with the result that the whole city of Nineveh turned from their evil ways and moved powerfully back to God. So despite initially hiding from God, God's, um, Jonah, uh, God still used Jonah powerfully. Now, if you're like me and your mind's drifted, then this is the moment to refocus, okay? And I don't know about you, but I would rather meet Jesus on choppy waters if he'd sent me there, rather than meeting me on choppy waters if I was hiding there. See, at the start of the year, God asked me to organize Alpha. This was way out of my comfort zone. I was scared, I didn't know what to do, and I was worried about so many things. Um, I was scared about sharing my faith, scaring no one would turn up, worried it'd be awful, and if someone did turn up, would they come back? Um, however, I was excited by God, what God might do. And, um, I, and Alpha turns out to be one of the highlights of this year. I've had some amazing friends. I've met, had wonderful conversations. I've been stretched, and it's been such a privilege to share with these people. Now, I, I now know that if I get some, if I get sent somewhere by God, that even though the waters will be choppy, I will feel secure because He will meet me there. Now, is there somewhere today that Jesus is sending you that you could go confidently? Because even the waters will get rough, and they will, you will know that Jesus will come to you. Can you hear God asking you to do something, but you're ignoring it or drowning it out with busyness? Don't be like Jonah and hide and run, but accept the exciting and challenging gift of God, of where he is sending you, because you will meet our miraculous God there. So as we conclude, I just want to leave you with three thoughts again. Know that Jesus will send you out and that things will get choppy. Feel secure, though, that God will come to you. But do take that first step of going to that place where Jesus is asking you to go. But let me finish with a question. Where is Jesus asking you to go? So that this is our moment, this is our hard work, this is our response. Where is Jesus sending you? Some of us just need to know the thrill of seeing Jesus coming to us in the storm. Some of us need to feel that confidence. And some of us need to hear the call. And if he came to you today, would he find you where he'd sent you? Or would he find you where you're hiding? Such a great job, Rich. Don't lose what God might be saying to you. Write it down, get it on your phone, get it somewhere. You take it away, process it. The hard work often happens after we've even left uh, the building. Mr. Nathan Luchford, everybody.
So I'm Nathan. I'm married to Becky. But I'm just going straight into it. So it's, <laughs> it's so easy to be skeptical. Considering that the disciples had already witnessed Jesus complete miracles, they quickly assume that the impossible sight before them is terrifying and something supernatural but scary. Their first thoughts are not that it could be Jesus who has already proved to them that he can do the miraculous. There were many miracles that they had witnessed or heard about. Some of them were the miraculous catch of fish, Jesus healing a leper, healing of a centurion's servant, feeding the 5,000. For Peter and the other disciples, the evidence that Jesus could do the miraculous should have been compelling as they had seen many signs. But it's so easy to be fearful. Jesus is very quick to try and calm them as immediately he says, take courage. He is instructive, firm and reassuring. Jesus knows that, uh, that although the disciples have experienced these things that he has already done, there's still a battle going on inside of the enemy. The enemy will feed negativity into their minds to frighten them. Fear can only have such a grip on us if we allow it to. Even though we may believe that Jesus is the light that shuts out the darkness, the devil knows our weaknesses and enjoys tapping into them, in particular when we make ourselves vulnerable. When I was growing up, some of the most exciting days out would be when mum took us to Kids' Kingdom, the soft play arena where children run around full of sugar and excitement, running, climbing, jumping off everything. Although I've always enjoyed taking risks, leaping off of things, climbing frames that were not intended to be climbed, and, and being somewhat destructive, one of my biggest fears has always been heights. Yet every time I, was, I went to Kids' Kingdom, I would find myself at the top of the death slide, readying myself to drop. The death slide was, is basically a vertical slide, probably no bigger than that 15 feet. I would sit there for what seemed to be hours. My brothers would have gone to the top and then thrown themselves down immediately. But I would have just waited and waited until I managed to find enough courage to drop down the slide. I remember several times where Josh would wait for me at the bottom, calling up to me and telling me I'd be fine. The crazy thing was, I had, con- I had conquered the death slide many times in the past, but every time I returned to the same scenario, it would, it would, the same scenario would unfold. There was one particular time where Josh had already slid down to the bottom, then realized that I was too afraid to move. He climbed his way back up to sit with me until I decided to take the risk to slide or not. He would always tell me that I didn't have to do it, but if I wanted to, all I had to do was step over the edge. You do not have to leave the boat. God will not force you to, but by God's grace, you can leave the boat. And there is so much you will miss if you don't. Almost every time that I found myself sitting up on that ledge, I went, I went through with it, and then immediately I found that I'll be back at the top, throwing myself down just like I'd done many times before. And it was amazing. But taking the first step is hard when you're not certain. Peter responds to Jesus. He is still unsure and, doubt, unsure and doubtful. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me, tell me to come to you on the water. But it was a leap of faith. He was stepping out even though he wasn't certain. Maybe he felt a sense of peace and familiarity with Jesus' voice, thereby believing that it was actually Jesus in front of him. Peter doesn't just assume he can walk on the water with Jesus. 
He wanted Jesus to direct him and to let him know that he would be okay. And this is the point. We can step out when we hear Jesus call. Jesus calls Peter to take the step of faith towards him. For Peter, this is a huge deal. Up until this point, it would have been unheard of for anyone to have walked on water. This was a miracle in itself. Taking one step forwards would have been scary, very scary, but Peter does it anyway. I think this is a really important point. Peter does it afraid. We take a step of faith when we are afraid. If we wait until we have no fear, we will always wait. I will still be at the top of that that death slide in his kingdom. Peter fixed his gaze on Jesus and just went for it. A rush of adrenaline would have completely taken over. But what a moment. Like going down that death slide at his kingdom, it must have been amazing. But then the enemy attacks. He draws Peter's attention to his surroundings, reminding him that what he is doing is, is completely impossible. It's easy to get distracted. Peter's fear then overwhelms him and causes him to sink. His emotions would suddenly be filled with doubt and panic. Fight or flight would begin to kick in. Fear would take over the power behind his adrenaline. He would begin to struggle. But Jesus always saves. Again, Jesus' response is instinctive and instantaneous. He reaches out and catches Peter. Peter shows signs of courage, demonstrating some faith in Jesus and his experience of what he has done. But he's, he's still distracted even once he has made the decision to follow Jesus' call and instruction. Yet the others in the boat behind him remain in the boat and do not follow. Did they think Peter was mad? Did they believe that it was actually Jesus on the water? They had seen many of the same signs as, as Peter had. It's interesting that the rest of the disciples didn't rise to the occasion and get out of the boat too. Perhaps this is more of a sign of things to come. Peter was showing leadership qualities. He was leading from the front, taking, taking steps of faith that would ultimately help to strengthen his faith and the others watching from the boat. This is, this is the journey of faith for all of us too. Taking steps, sometimes failing and coming back stronger each time. Would you get out of the boat or would you stay? In 2012, there was a study looking into the technique behind tightrope walking, exploring how the acrobats remain focused and tackle the enormous task of walking across a thread over gorges, waterfalls, and between skyscrapers. The pressure is immense, and only a few have managed to master the technique required to focus and remain balanced. The experts say that the best technique is based around finding a focal point to keep, and to keep moving. Walking on a beam or solid plank can be hard enough, but the rope adds a destabilizing element of motion. In the case of high-wire tightrope walking, there are far more elements to consider, such as the wind, the rain, birds, and aeroplanes. For Peter, all he had to do was focus on Jesus and keep moving forward towards him. He is the focal point. Jesus would have not taken his eyes off Peter. He was, he was always there to catch him. Peter would have never drowned, as Jesus would have let him. When Peter stepped onto the water, he would have, had, he would have believed that. Yet his faith became fear, became fear once he took his eyes off Jesus. What were the thoughts going through Peter's head before stepping out onto the boat? So my fears have been keeping me back in the boat for quite some time, really. 
Just like me standing up here in public speaking, there was always something inside me constantly whispering, you can do it. Although I've never believed that I'm capable, I've always allowed social anxiety to hold me back. The title of introvert has become my cloak to hide under. There have been so many times that I have heard a whisper, felt a nudge to step out, yet I've just remained in the boat. Becky and I have been joining the Hub Mission community for over a year now, and it was a few months in when during one session we spent some time thinking about breakthrough. We spent a little while reflecting on where we want to see breakthrough in our communities, personal life and church life. I spent most of the time just sitting there, allowing the extroverts to bounce around their ideas and their thoughts whilst I silently just gathered mine. A mini-battle had begun in my head as I felt God was highlighting the, the area that I needed to break free in. But I wasn't sure I even had the, the confidence to share it with the group. I was petrified of sharing anything. I didn't like being the centre of attention at all. I don't now either. My social anxiety was holding me back and holding me captive. Inevitably, I was asked for my thoughts, which after what seemed to be a few awkward seconds, I decided just to open up and say that I wanted to break through in my social anxiety. I stepped out of the boat and looked right at Jesus in that moment. I knew that Jesus had me and was able to carry the weight of what I was going through. To many people, this would seem rather insignificant, but to me, this was massive. Declaring that I wanted to see breakthrough allowed God to take some control. I didn't want to get to the end of my life and find myself in God's kingdom, regretting that I stayed in my comfort zone and never trusted in Jesus enough to take steps of faith. Since that evening, there have still been many times that I've allowed my social anxiety issues to get the better of me and take my eyes off Jesus. But through prayer and allowing God to take more control, I began to try and be brave and ask God to give me opportunities to step out in faith, to break the chains that held me down. So here I am. The question that I want to challenge you with is when the waves rise, begin to rise around you and you begin to realize that faith is not going to be easy, will you keep your eyes on Jesus and step out of the boat or will you remain in your comfortable place? Great job. So good, isn't it? One minute, 60 seconds of quiet. Which, or, or how is God calling you to step out of the boat? What is it that God is calling you to do afraid? Notice that Peter didn't step out of the boat because he was not afraid. He did it even though he was afraid. That's what Nathan was highlighting for us so beautifully. At the top of that kid's kingdom slide, what's your kid's kingdom slide? And God is saying, come on, do it afraid, because you can trust me. Everybody, as Helen comes and, uh, and shares with us, uh, let's welcome Helen, shall we, as she comes and opens up her heart to us. Standing at the top of the slide at King's, King's Kids Kingdom, and I just said, said to me, that's okay, I'll be there and I'll give you a push. <laughs> so he's given me a push as I came out of the pew. Some of you will know that in another life, I was a teacher of primary school children. And I have to tell you, taking assembly with two, three, four hundred primary school children is nothing 
on what it is to stand up here in front of all of you who are adults. Give me a, cl- a, a group or a school of two, three hundred children and I'll do an assembly any time, but I'm going to take a deep breath and, and here we go. So, there were two verses that stood out to me as I uh, studied this passage. Um, the first one was right at the beginning, as um, Nathan and, and Rich have, have talked about. Um, Matthew says that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. And that seems quite okay. I'll go up and pray. I'm going to go up the mountainside to pray, said Jesus. You get in the boat. I'll see you over at the other side. Well, he obviously didn't expect that his disciples wanted to go and pray with him, or perhaps he wanted to be on his own. He expected that the disciples would get safely to the other side. Surely he wouldn't have put him into the boat otherwise. He didn't expect them to drown and leave this earth before they had carried out everything that he had for them to accomplish, all that he had planned for them. And he'd got a lot planned for them. The second one, which made a far greater impact on me, was verses 29 to 31. Peter and the disciples were afraid when they saw Jesus walking towards them on the water. The night was stormy and dark, and they thought he was a ghost. Jesus called out to them, Do not be afraid, it is I. Peter, perhaps not really believing it is Jesus, calls out that he wants to walk on the water too. How scary is that? Not something I would contemplate doing, I'm sure. The water must have been quite deep. And yet something told Peter he could trust Jesus to keep him safe. I wonder if that was because he was still in the boat. It's really easy to feel confident when you've sat, you're still sitting in the boat. However, he does step out of the boat And for a little while, everything goes really well. He keeps his eyes on Jesus, but then suddenly he panics. Perhaps it's the waves heaving around him, or the wind blowing in squalls. Whatever it is, he looks down at his feet, takes his eyes off Jesus, and we know what happens. He begins to sink. I wonder what raced through his mind Jesus had failed him. He knew this wouldn't work. The storm was too dangerous. It would have been okay if the wet water had been calm. Why hadn't Jesus reached out to save him? He was going to drown. So what does he do? He calls out to Jesus, save me. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Phew, that was a close shave. But Jesus has something else to say. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I wonder if Peter marveled and came to understand that when his eyes were on Jesus, he could walk on the water. But as soon as the reality and danger of his situation came came to him, he panicked, looked down at his feet and began to sink. Have ever I ever been like Peter, confident, convinced I could do the impossible and trust God? Yes, I had. 
And I was reminded of a particular time in my life when I was just like Peter in more ways than one. I'm going to tell you something that happened when my, uh, or our son Daniel um, was in his late teens. And I have his blessing to share this with you. I was away on a retreat day with the church I was going to at the time. Our son Daniel had failed his A-levels for the second time. He knew what he wanted to do at university and had several places lined up. But because of he was uh, quite dys- dyslexic, he couldn't get his exams and no one would give him a place. It was the storm I was in. Worried about his future, what would he do? His disappointment was great, and so was mine. He had fought against the odds through his school years. Studying was hard for him, and he had been advised to leave school at the first opportunity many times. In fact, one of the educational psychologists told him the best thing he could do was to leave school at 16 and go and work in Harris's Bacon Factory, uh, because that he would never amount to much but he knew what he wanted to do. During the retreat day, God spoke to me very clearly. Don't worry, Daniel will be okay. Phew, that was a relief. Of course, I took this to mean he would pass his exams when he took them again. He was still studying. He was doing a third year in the sixth form. I rejoiced and relaxed. God had it all in hand and he would be okay. Get to uni and fulfill his dreams. So I trusted and felt a sense of peace about it at all. Over the next few months, as Daniel continued to study, I got on with life and all the things I had to do, knowing he was going to be okay. God had said so. The next summer again came, Daniel took his A-levels again and failed them again. What was going on? Life was stormy. I forgot the promise God had made. He wasn't going to be okay. What would he do? I took my eyes off Jesus and what he had said to me and saw only the acute disappointment and sadness around us all. Life was in turmoil again. I'm going to say that again because I really want you to hold on to that. I took my eyes off Jesus and what he had said to me and saw only the acute disappointment and sadness all around us. Life was in turmoil again. I wonder who that reminds you of. Daniel still fought to get to college, and with the help of a careers officer in Ipswich, who found him two colleges to apply for, who did a a kind of pre-degree course, he applied to the one in Birmingham. At the interview, he became very upset and angry when he was told to go home and get an A-level and then they would give him a place on the degree course. He was convinced when he got home that he'd blown any chance he had or he might have had of getting on the access course by getting angry during his interview. A week later... He was very surprised to get a letter from the college saying that if he could prove he was dyslexic, they would take him with the O-levels he had and on the degree course. And we'd already had a, a report done for school. Which, and then he sent the report off 
and he started the degree course in the September. And while he was there, he passed everything, all his exams, and he did get his degree. He got a BSc in podiatry and podiatric medicine. When he was accepted, I remembered God's promise to me that he would be okay, and I felt ashamed. I had let God down. I had taken my eyes off him and only looked at the turmoil around us all, the storm our life had become. I had given up my joy, peace and trust because I had allowed circumstances to rob me of God's promise. Instead, I I had lived gripped with fear, panic, sleepless nights, worry and utter helplessness for Daniel. And what had that achieved? Nothing. God had it all in hand as he had promised. I just had to keep my eyes on him and have faith and trust. Reading these verses has been a good reminder to me to trust God and what he says, to keep my eyes on him. There are still things in my life now where I need to do that again. How easy it is to lower my gaze and see only the here and now, the turmoil of life where things are difficult and not as God has promised or planned. So what can I do now to help me keep my eyes on Jesus through difficult and fearful times? What would help me now? Well, I thought probably the best thing that would help me would be to have a friend or friends for the journey. Telling someone what God has promised me so that I could pray with them when things didn't work out. Things weren't as I expected. I would have someone to encourage me and help me focus on God and his promise. Someone to pray with me when I felt unable to pray. To remind me that God is faithful and keeps his promises. To remind me of Bible verses that show God's faithfulness to us, to me. Probably the most importantly, to remind me that God doesn't always answer in the way we expect. The second thing I think that would have helped me would be journaling. It would have also have helped me to have written down what I sensed God was saying to me so that I had something to go back to and read when my faith was shaken. All these things would have helped me to keep my focus on God, not on the circumstances. I wonder if, like me, you have taken your eyes off Jesus and become overwhelmed by fear, panic or hopelessness in a situation in your life. And like Peter feel you are sinking in the waves. Where are you in this story today? Are you ready to step out of the boat and trust in God's promise? Go for it with your eyes fixed on Jesus. Or are you out of the boat and feel like you're sinking? Just as with Peter, God will reach out his hand to you and me. All we have to do is call out to him acknowledging our mistakes and he will save us from sinking just as he did Peter. But maybe you feel full of shame as I did, doubt and somewhat embarrassed. 
It must have been hard to have the other disciples watch him as he sank. Peter, though, became a great leader, maybe the greatest. He had learnt the journey of faith. God challenges us all, you and me, to take a step of faith. And when you and remember, when you fall, allow Jesus to pick you up. Like me, you will get back in the boat, but your faith will have grown. Mine certainly did when I saw Daniel go through college, and when he gained his degree, I felt so proud of him and thankful to God on the day that he had his graduation ceremony, a day at one time I thought I would never see. Each time you get out of the boat and trust God, keeping your eyes on him, you will learn to walk on the water for longer and further. That was Peter's story. And that can be our story, your story and mine. Don't let shame or embarrassment rob you of all that God has for you. And finally, back to where we started with verse 22. Jesus knew the disciples would make it to the other side. And he knows that for all of us too. So, so good. You're with me in the darkest night. You're with me through the storm. Your promise is alive in me. The morning always comes. My God, our God, never fails. Let's stand.